This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 209, Submission 1360, Dead of Night. Dead of Night was a made-for-TV anthology movie that aired on NBC the night of March 29th, 1977. This is the dead of night. It has nothing to do with time. It can happen in sunshine or in moonlight, in the best of weather or the worst. For the dead of night is a state of mind, that dark, unfathomed region of the human consciousness from which all the unknown terrors of our lives emerge. The dead of night exists in all of us, and no one knows at what strange, unexpected moment it will make itself known. And so tonight, for your entertainment, three tales, one of mystery, one of imagination, and one of terror. In 1972, the BBC aired a seven-episode series called Dead of Night. It was an anthology series not unlike The Twilight Zone, or Night Gallery, or The Outer Limits. We're not talking about that one. But we're talking about the similar but legally distinct American made-for-TV movie that could have easily functioned as the pilot for an American version of that show. And it was directed by the producer of Dark Shadows, Dan Curtis. The same Dan Curtis who would work on previous installment, Super Train. Yes. Anytime we get a chance to mention Super Train on this podcast... You know we're going to do it. And all three stories were written by the writer of the TV movies from what we discussed last episode in Cold Check the Night Stalker, Richard Matheson. And this was by coincidence. This was not planned. So, this movie, what can we say about it? Because it is basically sort of like a... It is Actually, it's exactly like a trilogy of terror. It's sort of like the prototype to like what you see nowadays with the Simpsons annual Treehouse of Horror specials. We have one story that's really good. Then the second story that's not as good as either one, either the first or the final one. And then the final story that's just something to really hammer the whole what the F is going on sort of thing. But we're mainly here to talk about the first segment, because there's a reason why I put this on the schedule, folks. Two reasons, actually. Two reasons, okay. Yeah. Okay, the first segment of this trilogy of terror is called Second Chance.
No, not that. If I had a second chance. Not that either. You've been through something. I don't want you to be afraid. Oh no, there's a oh. fourth? The plot of this movie involves, okay, guys, are you ready for this? You're not going to believe what the plot of this is. It's about a guy who finds this wrecked car, who restores it, and goes on this county road and finds himself magically transported back to the 1920s. And do you know who the man is that... (laughs) Plays the character who fixes that old car. Are you ready for this? Uh, Who is it? Who is it? Ed Bagley Jr. Oh, no. Okay, he would have had to have been really, really young. Like, Oh, oh, yeah. Really young. So this is like way before seen elsewhere. Well, how, how young is really young, would you say? Like mid twenties, eh, I got him at twenty seven. Okay, yeah, you're, you're doing some quick math in your head. Yep. Uh, well, bo- born September of nineteen forty nine, and this and, and this aired March, March of of seventy seven. So yeah, so he was twenty seven. Uh, by the way, Second Chance was actually a short story written by Jack Finney, who is known for The Body Snatchers and Time and Again. Fun fact, he also wrote the uh, his first article ever in Cosmopolitan, or anywhere really, was called Someone Who Knows Told Me. And it reflects the message of the Office of War Information at the time. Loose lips sink ships. So you can't say he wasn't doing his bit to support the war effort in the early to mid-40s. Oh, and did we also mention... That Ed Begley Jr. liked a tweet we had. Yes, he did. Oh, by the way. So he's a friend of the show. There you go. Technically. Yes. yes. Oh, by the way, should I explain the origins of the uh, the whole joke with the tortoise? I think sure, the listeners would appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. There was like a time, and I I found the exact episode where this is. Okay, it's uh, it's on the Friday episode of the second week of Magic Game Hollywood Squares, where like something there's like I think Ed like some sort of like time or place or year or something, and then like he I think he kind of makes some kind of a joke about how he traveled back in time or something, and I think and I remember this because we were listening to this on Discord together, and I made mm-hmm. a joke like. What, Ed Begley has a tortoise? And then I think, I don't know who made the joke, but it was like, yeah, it's a tortoise that travels on vegetable oil. That might have been me. It probably was. It wasn't me. I mean, that sounds like something I'd say. And somehow it stayed in our minds that Ed Begley travels through time in a tortoise that runs on vegetable oil. And, and then, somehow that joke has lasted well over two years. And we've added lore to it. We've added the Zodiac Killer from the Cool Kids. 
Which, by the way, now they've actually found they found who did the Zodiac Killer. So they actually know who the Zodiac Killer is. That just ruins the bit. That just gives the game away, doesn't well, it? What if what if the person who did it was supposedly framed? Okay, we could be on this all day, obviously, but uh, hmm, who knows? But we're not here to talk about the Zodiac Killer. We're here to talk about. The second chance from this series of shorts from this movie. Yeah, second chance, like Greg said, follows a 20-something-year-old named Frank who purchases a beater that last ran in 1926. He fixes it up, drives it down what used to be the old highway, and winds up himself back 50 years, because this was 1977. In 1926. Well, 51 years. To the night where its occupants Deceased. Life-impaired, if you will. Yeah, because the person who owned the car was trying to outrun a train. How long has it been here? Uh, Happened in 26, as I recall. What happened? This dude was racing a train out on the county road. And he tried to beat it to the grade crossing, and he didn't make it. The engine hit the rear wheel there and flipped her over and killed both him and his girl. Young folks, too. They weren't any older than you are. Kids don't even try doing that. No. It never ends well. Yeah, it's 1926, too. It's not like the Fast and the Furious. These cars run at a top speed of, like, 65 miles an hour. Oh, if even. Yeah, that's just... And here's the thing. All right, you know how much... Frank paid for the car? 50 bucks. Greg? Oh, I know this. It's $100 he paid for. Well, in this impromptu round of not eBay, price was right. The actual price that Frank bought the car for was $100. Because I actually watched this movie. I know how much he paid for it. <laughs> Before Frank knew what on earth was going on, the car was stolen. It was stolen? It was stolen. Who stole it, Chico? Tom Poston? (laughs) What? I stole a car? Huh? Okay, so trapped in the 20s, seemingly, he goes back home and wakes up back in 1977. Yeah, that works, I guess. Okay, I'll buy it. Aside from that, he's given another beater to restore to showroom condition. He's able to find out the mystery of what happens when he fell into the 20s. Okay, so let's explain the story here. Please do. So now Frank is dating a girl he met at college. But the thing is, 
He doesn't recall ever seeing her before. She just all of a sudden shows up. Yep. By the way, the girl is played by Christina Hart, who is best known for... Well, she's best known for being that girl in That Thing. She played Patricia Krenwinkle in Helter Skelter, and uh, that's pretty much the extent of her career. I mean, she did a guest stint on many things in the 1970s. But all right, let's get into the big twist, okay? So he's now dating this girl, and Frank goes to meet her grandparents. <laughs> he's telling the story about the 1920s core that he fixed and lost. And then her grandfather's like, oh, really? I have that same car in my garage. Oh, boy. Mr. McCauley, what, what's the original uh, paint job on this? Well, it used to be a beautiful forest green. Sorry, I was, uh, I was just picturing you driving it around when the Jordan was new. A car like this must be quite a temptation to, uh, open her up now and then. Now and then? <laughs> All the time. Oh, if my parents had only known. Do you know that he almost got us killed one night? Just before we were married. How? Foolishness. <laughs> just plain foolishness <laughs> we were racing the train we were racing <laughs> it was the thing to do in those days i don't remember being asked we almost beat it too we were actually ahead of it and then we came to the grade crossing no gates just the crossroad going right across the tracks and i started to turn and in that last instant in the very last fraction of a second i knew we couldn't make it we were just too late so, I didn't turn, and we tore along the road beside that train. <laughs> the engineer leaning out of his cab, shaking his fist, and cussing us out for all he was for. <laughs> Where did that happen? Just outside of town, coming home from Cresswell. Listen, did something delay you that night? I mean, just a few seconds, just long enough, so that you knew you couldn't try and cross in front of that train. I, uh, I don't know. Like what? Like someone uh, running out in front of your car and doing like this. I'm afraid not. Why? I don't know. I just kind of figured that's the way it happened. And sure enough, you're not going to believe this. There's this car, and he's trying to piece together what happened. And it turns out that that is the car. That was the same car that was stolen that fateful night 
51 years or one crazy night prior, depending on what vantage point you're taking. Well, this takes place six months after the um, after the event, so yes, in Frank's time. So it's six months later, now he's seeing the car again. So, okay. So he pieces this together that they were distracted. The grandfather and the grandmother were distracted by Frank that night. And it turned out because of those moments where he was in front of the road, that gave the grandfather enough time to get away from the train and saves him and his wife's life. And in the process, change the future, change the future to now Frank is dating their granddaughter. Well, it's not so much scary as it is heartwarming. I guess, I guess it's kind of like a weird, I, I guess there's the pun, the second chance, because he gave he gave them a second chance. And that segment just runs like 20, 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. And also he marries uh, the girl, too. So. Yeah. so there you go. So that was second chance. All right. But here's the second part. The second part is, and this is the title, No Such Thing. As a vampire. No such thing as a vampire. No but such Chica, thing as a vampire. But Chica, we watched Count Duckua. We obviously know there's such thing as a vampire. I, of course. we've And we've all watched, well, I've watched the entirety of the run of Castlevania. Do not tell me there is no such thing as a vampire. Hey, Mike. You would be great if uh, the lunch pack of Notre Dame did the catering for this TV movie. Get out of my head. Get out. I was going to make a comment about lunch pack of Notre Dame. Oh, no. Oh, That's, no. no, just, just, you, you've been evicted from my head. That's one too many times. Uh, are you living rent free in Mike's head again, Greg? Oh, I, every day I'm living rent free in his head. <laughs> okay. For, but, yeah, he's got another week in there. But okay, playing the main character in the second segment is Patrick McNee. And guys, we just talked about Patrick McNee like five or six months ago in Thunder in Paradise. Ooh, I love that show. And he was a uh, speaker on the uh, Bicentennial Minute, so technically it's three. Yep. And then we talked about the Prisoner video game, so that counts, maybe? Maybe? No, no wait a second. You, you said Thunder in Paradise, Greg? Oh, wait. Do we have to count the Thunder in Paradise CDI game? Yes. We can give it an asterisk, but I heard you say Thunder in Paradise. Yeah. I, I got two words for you. What? Jizzle drizzle. Jizzle drizzle, baby. Jizzle drizzle. Jizzle drizzle. Just remember. Hammerhead! It was Hammerhead! He did this! He did this to me! Jizzle drizzle. Anyway. But we would all best know Patrick McNee from playing John Steed in the Avengers. The OG Avengers. The OG Avengers. The, the one with Emma Peel, the British show. Yes. I always got to distinct it from the other Avengers, so. Yeah. Well, not, the not, other Avengers the... in my mind is the, the, uh, the movie series. 
Yeah. Okay. Your well, mileage may vary on that, but I know. Well, if you're if you're in the UK, you probably think the same way, but we're not in the UK. We're Americans, damn it. America. America. So, so okay. So the plot is Patrick McNee and his wife have been bitten, and the townspeople are locking their doors. What? And he calls upon a younger colleague played by Horse Buckholtz. Horse Buckholtz. Horse Buckholtz. That's to the help actor's him solve name. The mystery. That is the actor's name. I'm looking at it. Horse Werner Buckholtz. He was in such films as The Magnificent Seven and Life is Beautiful. Oh, Life is Beautiful. That's a good movie. Roberto Benini. He loves you all. I love you all. I'm Roberto Benini. That's my I'm, bad. A, I'm a Roberto Benini. Roberto yeah. Benini. Okay. All right. So, Dr. Gadia, played by Patrick McPhee, is worried about his suffering wife, who's played by Antoinette Comer from The Baby, apparently the victim of a vampire's bite. All the servants of the mansion, except for the jittery Carol who's played by Elisha Cook, who you might remember from Blackula. And second week in a row, we're mentioning it. He was in the Maltese Falcon. He was also in Rosemary's Baby. Oh, Rosemary's Baby. All right, I haven't seen it. Don't give away the twist of the movie, please. I promise you won't spoil it. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah, I was just going to say, hey, Yaya, do you have something to tell us? Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Okay, no spoilers. Uh, well, I'm gonna when I'm done with this, I'm gonna finally watch Planet of the Apes too. So don't tell me that twist either. Okay. Hey, Greg, have you seen Have you seen Soylent Green? Oh no. No, I wonder how that ends too. Oh, I'm not Spoiler gonna alert. spoil that. No, 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 no. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Hey guys. <laughs> I'm. Don't tell me that Rosebud's the sled. Oh, did I just spoil that? Hey. Hey, guys. I'm going to watch The Empire Strikes Back. Don't tell me what happens at the end of the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. Oh, my gosh. Hey, guys. Don't tell me what happens in Avengers Infinity War also. Okay. And please, to our listeners, don't spoil any of these. Yeah, don't go on social media and be like, Dear Mr. It Was a Thing on TV. The spoiler for The Empire Strikes Back is dot, dot, dot. Don't do that. Don't we don't want to be guy. spoiled. Don't be that guy. Okay, let's, what were we talking about again? We were talking about how Blackula was, uh, was the only person who's... Um, well, not Blackula, but the guy in Blackula was the only person who didn't quit. So Gary Elisha calls, Cook. Elisha Cook was the only one who didn't quit. So Gary calls in Horst Buckholtz to examine the wife. And attempting to do a period horror film as a movie on a weak budget. Oh, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't. I mean, there's no real sort of depth of character on this. Yeah, it doesn't work when it's like 20 minutes. No, no, it doesn't. You need like an entire series. Ask anyone who's seen Dark Shadows, the series. 
another Dan Curtis joint. But hey, we got to see Elisha Cook as a vampire hunter. So there's a thing. So, okay, what's the big twist in this uh, segment? I don't think there is much of a twist here. Like he just doesn't he doesn't the uh, send uh, Alicia Cook to kill him? Yes, and think that he's a vampire or something. Think that she's a vampire, the wife. Yeah, I think so. If it makes her think that he's a vampire, I don't. I. It was hard. Like I said, the second story. Not as good as the first or the third. Yeah, I didn't understand where it was going at all. So, if it's you like, want to explain, it, it tried to get in its own way. If anybody out there watched this and wants to explain what happened, please drop us a line here at the station. It was a thing on TV at gmail.com. Thank you. And then there was the Final segment. Oh, the final segment. Oh, this was what this is what you paid the money for if you bought the DVD to this movie. By the way, the DVD is available. It is. It's called Bobby. Bobby. Is this about Bobby Kennedy? Uh, no. Oh, so this wasn't directed by Emilio Estevez. Also, no. Oh. We have a mother played by Joan Hackett who, by the way, is known for the 1967 Western Will Penny and won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress in Only When I Laugh from 1981. And do you know who she was married to? Buddy Hackett? No. Mike, do you want to take a guess? Ooh, I don't know. I've heard the name, but I don't know. Richard Mulligan. Oh, 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 I find that easy. Unfortunately, no longer with us, passed away in 1983 oh. due to cancer. Cancer is a mother. Yeah. But okay. So in this segment, she is trying to bring back her dead son who drowned. Who's willing to do anything short of the alchemic law equivalent exchange. Google it. So like her husband's away on a business trip. So... She says, oh, fix herself. Okay, this is going to be the perfect time to bring my dead son back. Um, so what does she do, Chico? What does she do? She's experimenting with the black arts. And one night, Bobby comes knocking on the door, shivering from cold rain, and explains that he never really drowned, but a couple found him water-drenched. And up until now, he suffered from memory loss and forgot who he was. Oh, by the way, I should mention who plays Bobby. Lee Playing... H. Montgomery. And do you know what he was in back in 1971, guys? What was he in in 1971? He was the son of Dean Jones in the 1971 Disney classic that I've mentioned on this podcast before. Million Dollar Duck. Of course. <laughs> One day we're all going to watch Million Dollar Duck and you're all going to love it. Who says I'm not going to love it? Mike, you're going to, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're going to love Million Dollar Duck. I think I saw it as a little kid. Yeah. 
How can you not love it? It's about a duck that lays golden eggs. Who gets it from wandering into a room full of radiation. Co- comedy in 1971. And comedy. Sandy, and Sandy Duncan's in it, too. Oh, that's so much better. Oh, yeah. Wheat thins, baby. Yeah, you're radioactive duck. Oh, gosh. Radioactive wheat thins, baby. <laughs> oh, no. And we should also add that uh, Million Dollar Duck is the first credit for Lee Montgomery. Oh, that's great. First thing he ever did. First thing he ever did. Starting your career with a bang, acting alongside a duck. A duck that laid golden eggs. Duck that laid golden eggs. But okay. A radioactive duck that laid golden eggs. Come on. <laughs> oh my god. All right, Phil, let's get back into this. Oh, okay. I don't think we can. So, Bobby, it, it was basically Full Metal Alchemist meets Friday the 13th almost. That makes sense, right? Yeah, kind of. Sure. Okay, and at first, everything seems fine and good. Mother and son, they're so reunited. Oh, God, it's so lovely. But then Bobby sorts of exhibits some weird behavior. And then it just gets kind of sort of weird and... And these are the only two people in the movie, mother and son. These are the only two people. It's sort of like fractured almost. Does it feel like the relationship is fractured between these yeah. two? Oh, yeah. Like, you get a sense that like, there's something really off here. Yeah. And um, do you remember what the twist is? Because it seems like, okay... You summon Birds of Darkness to bring back your dead son. This can't possibly end well. No, it will not end well. Bobby was pissed at his mother for drowning, so he sent guys this. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, this! That's, that's like Chucky and some what the hell? Th- that does look like, you know, Chucky 10 years early. That is creepy. It looks like, you know what it looked like when I first saw it? I died laughing when I saw this. This is supposed to be scary. I died laughing because it looks like they put a little person in makeup. Put that away. Put it away. That is the thing in nightmares. Good heaven. That is, ladies and gentlemen, this is, you're glad to, I'm so glad that this is a podcast because. This right here, what we're looking at right now, this is nightmare night- fuel. Nightmare fuel. But you know what? For me, it's just hilarious. This is this is like the episode of Doug where Doug was scared of like that creature thing. He was too scared to look at, but when he finally got to see it, he noticed that there was a zipper. Oh, wait, I said it. Mike, say it. No, no, no. Say no, it, you, Mike. You go, you're goading me into it. No. Say it. Say it. You guys are sort of like the class on The Simpsons when Bart becomes famous. <laughs> Say the line, Bart. I didn't do it. Yay! 
Say the, the line, line Mike. Mike. I didn't do it. Zippers. Zipper. Hey, Greg. Yeah. Are we going to play match game 2034 with the vivacious head of Kitty Carlisle? <laughs> hey, everybody. Let's start the game. Let's start the game. Ah! And the amazing thing is, I don't think Kitty Carlisle was ever on match game in the 70s. I, no, I, I'm pretty sure she wasn't. Oh, my gosh. Maybe in the 60s, but not in the 70s. Well, don't forget that by that point, Farrah Fawcett Majors had married Jim Varney. Oh, oh that is true. I forgot about that. Yeah, she had the last name Varney. Oh, my gosh. What a future that is. <laughs> Ain't it just, though? So that's basically the film. Right? Yeah. It's all three, well, actually, two good stories, and then something just slaps together in the middle. Yeah, that's it. We got Ed Bagley in a time traveling car. We got the kid from Million Dollar Duck as a demon, and we have Patrick McNee doing whatever. There you go. Well, let me ask you this. Was this, since it only aired one time, was it a pilot for a future show, potentially, kind of, sort of, or is this just a one-time deal? I think this was just a one-time deal. Yeah. Well, it, oh, wait. There, wait. Hold on. You, well, think there, you think this is it? There's actually more. If you buy the DVD, you know oh, yeah. what you get? You get the original pilot for the concept. Mm-hmm. From 1969. Okay, I'm just wondering if this is a burn-off because I have the competition that no, night. No, 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 no. This is a, just a straight-up made-for. Okay. Well, I do have the competition for that night. And, well, the reason I said it, it, if it's a burn-off is because the competition it went up against is pretty tough. Uh, on ABC that night, this aired at 9.30, from 9.30 to 11. Yeah, so this is. Yeah, if you make watch your own it, judgment about it airing too late. Yeah, if you watch it on YouTube, it's like an hour and like 10, 11 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this aired on NBC on ABC that night was uh, the second half starting at 9 30, the second half of an, a new episode of Eight is Enough. And then at 10 o'clock, you had a new episode of Family. And then on CBS, What's the one show you don't want to run up against on CBS in 1977 or basically most of the 70s and even the early part of the 80s? All in the Family? No, the other Jefferson's? one. Jefferson's? No, no, the other one. <laughs> Mash? One, one Mash, day. there you oh. go, Mash. Oh. But, but to make it even worse, well, it's like a double worse. A, it was a repeat episode. Uh-huh. But also B... It was a special one-hour episode that was. Oh, repeated. that is that. Oh, CBS doing you dirty. That's the double punch right there, and, and that's from nine to ten, and then uh, from ten to eleven, there was a special about Mitzi Gaynor. Oh, Mitzi zings into spring. Ooh. Zings into spring. Mitzi Gaynor, joined by country music star Roy Clark and actor Wayne Rogers, pays a colorful tribute in song dance and sketches to the earth's season of renewal oh that's and remember this aired march 29th so spring did just start a week earlier and he got trapper john on that special 
And you got oh, Trevor wow. John. And, and you got one of the hosts of Hee Haw. Hee Haw. Yeah. Oh, guys, I didn't even mention this. Do you know who did the music for Dead of Night? Who did the music for Dead of Night? Bob Cobert. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Hey, that's the second reference we've made in back-to-back weeks. That's just his go-to guy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a, if uh, Richard Matheson, yeah, go to Bob Cobert. So, yeah, that's pretty much why this did not work at that time period. But as a DVD, as a standalone DVD, it is a must-grab for collectors. And if you get the DVD, you will get, at no additional cost, a fourth story. Oh? Yes. A Darkness at Blazedon. It's directed by Leela Swift from a screenplay by Dan Curtis. And this was actually the ABC pilot for from Dead night- of Night. Yes, from 1969. Yeah. Yep. So you get four and segments on the DVD. Four segments on the DVD. That's great. Including the one that was never picked up. And just as a brief sort of gloss over, it takes place in Blazon Manor. Cobwebs occupy every strategic surface and corner of the interior. Victorian furniture holds its ground. And ominous portraits are all over the place. Angela Martin, who's played by Marge Doucet, just inherited this old mansion. And she calls on Jonathan Fletcher, who's played by Kerwin Matthews, and Sajid Rao, played by Cal Bellini. She's trying to sell the house, and she can't afford to keep it. No one's apparently willing to buy the house because it claims that the house is haunted. She states she doesn't believe in ghosts, but she wants Fletcher and Rao to investigate anyway in order to declare the house ghost-free and therefore marketable. Of course, they say, okay, suffice it to say, yes, the house is haunted. And the one thing that stands out is the costume design of Ramsey Mostaller, who not only has a sense of fashion in this, but it seems like that the way that there's a person wearing a dress and the way that it is sort of keyed into the scene by I guess chroma key or something it just makes it seem ethereal and the story itself is just under a full hour it's not terrible but really you want to pick up the DVD for two of the three stories of the main feature and also you get a movie on DVD with Ed Bakley Jr. So how can you go wrong? True. Ed Bakley Jr. in a car that travels to the 1920s. And surprisingly enough, it holds up as its own sort of movie. Yeah, you could make an entire movie. You could remake this into like a full-length movie. Interesting you mentioned that because they remade the Bobby story. Yes, they did on USA Network in Trilogy of Terror 2, another made for from Dan Curtis. Oh, and by the way, it's a sequel to an earlier TV movie from 1975 that aired on ABC. Also an anthology and starring in all three segments, guys, Karen Black. What? She remember for 75? 
Yes! From Airport 75. Oh, and guys, even better. Even better. Do you know who's in one of the segments in Trilogy of Terror? Who's that? Mike, are you ready for this? Oh, okay. Bring it. George Gaines. Punky. Punky. Tell, oh. tell Karen Black to tell Sherry to not go in the refrigerator, Punky. 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 Tell Frank Bena to not let me buy that refrigerator so Jerry will not get trapped in it. Punky. That's Dead of Night. It stands alone as a very good movie to watch with your friends this Halloween. But in 1977, these three stories lumped into one made for and airing opposite of MASH. It was a thing on TV. Yes, it was. Well, guys, you can always find some more fun over at ItWasAThingOnTV.com. You can travel over there on your 1920s car, and you can listen to the 208 episodes prior to this one. You can listen to all our live shows, or our mini-sodes, our director's cuts, the remasters. And by the way, guys, this coming Wednesday... Our series from Into the Spidey Movieverse continues on the Podbean feed as we go back, Chico, to back. The, the first Spider-Man movie from 2002 directed by Sam Raimi. And by the way, I think I, I was re-listening to this episode the other day. I remember my voice was so hoarse because we did like a taping the night before. I forget uh -huh. what taping it was, but you can listen to it. And, like my voice is like pretty shot in that episode. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, we are on all the socials at it was a thing on TV, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're also on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. That is a spooky sounding bell. Anyway, hit the bell when you want to be updated on future entries. And again, I don't know if we should point this out, but we are almost at 100 subscribers. We did hit 100 subscribers Oh, we today. hit 100 subscribers? Yes, we did. Uh, well, if you're going to ring a bell, we got to ring the bell for that. We're one-tenth of the way to a thousand, people. Yep, one-tenth of the way to uh, Olive Garden breadstick money. Yeah, that F money. We'll be swimming that dough with Virgil. <laughs> okay, but next time. Next time. we continue, we got complete the Halloween trilogy. But this time we're not even, I would say, this is scary. This is weird. This is scary, but not the way you're thinking of. Yeah. And you know what, guys? I have a lot of questions. I think we all have a lot of questions. I have all the questions. Hey, guys, well, you want, do you want to dance? <laughs> okay, I'm going to get left skeleton and right skeleton here for our next installment. Of it was a thing on TV.
Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Wow! And now, audience, would you join me? A brisk round of applause for our beautiful stars. Hello, stars. Hi, Gene. I love stars are up. Good to see you, Gene. On yesterday's Hollywood Squares, you were not called on once. Not called on at all, but I know that'll change today. Well, I, just for the heck of it, give us an answer. Um, Detroit and the Monroe Doctrine was enacted in 2854. I don't know. Good. I want to explain my Monroe Doctrine date. It wasn't 2854. I better not go into it. I better drop it right, right. now. <laughs> it was in this century, certainly. I'm in another century now.